Amen. Once again, we are in our topic of world religions, cults, and the occult, and we are on the eighth topic. It rhymes with Mormonism. John, it is. Mormonism, you're on the ball. And as you turn there, we're actually going to uh, be on a new page, if you can believe that. Page six in the Mormonism section. I don't know what the actual page number will be in the workbook, but that's that. Uh, as you turn there, we're going to recap. The whole thing is based on a feeling, not a good thing to do. Which account? It doesn't agree. The writings don't even agree. There's no archaeological evidence. Mormon does not mean more good. It's a boogie monster, basically. Extremely racist. Woo! And we're going to see that again, Lord willing, tonight. Joseph Smith was not a martyr. A lamb led to the slaughter. When you shoot other people, mm-mm, you're not a martyr. Okay, he was a Freemason. He was into witchcraft big time. So was his whole family. And that's where he got his techniques to supposedly uh, write the Book of Mormon. Uh, they were not unified still to this day. They were in many different groups. He, uh, they teach the baptism of the dead. And what do you get from that? Where do you get all this from? Why is this happening? Because we're back to the five signs that somebody is involved in a cult. Typically, all cults are going to get it wrong in these signs. Now, we've already seen with Mormonism, sure enough, they got the wrong authority. Their Bible is not the same as our Bible. Their source of authority is not our authority. And Joseph Smith made it up amongst other things. They also have the wrong nature of God. Remember they said that there was even people who live on uh, the moon and actually defend that? And Brigham Young said, oh, and don't forget, there's people on the sun too. Yeah, whatever. And they actually defend that. And then they got, where we left off last time, another sign that you're involved in the cult. They got the wrong Jesus. They always get these things wrong. They have a different authority uh, outside the Bible, in other words, they, they, which means, guess what? It all goes downhill. You get a wrong God, wrong Jesus, and we'll see some other ones Lord willing tonight. But we left off last time on the person and work of Jesus. They get wrong. And believe it or not, we left off on the topic. They said Jesus was a polygamist, right? And that's part of the justification they try to use as to why we have you know, a polygamy today. And as we saw, it still goes on today. As much as they want to deny it in the press, they still teach it on, in different levels. And we shared that in great detail last time. Now, the top of the page six, that's just the beginning. How else do they get Jesus wrong is where we're at when it comes to Mormonism. Well, here's what they also say, wrongly so. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as well as the cross, Jesus, they say, atoned for Adam's sin and guaranteed all humankind resurrection and immortality. What? What's this? Why are you pushing this Gethsemane thing? And we, Well, we'll get to that in, in just a little bit, okay? But they split it for a reason, and uh, that'll make sense in a second. Jesus, they also say, visited the Israelites or Indians of North America after his resurrection and established the true, is your first blank there, the true church among them. What's the problem with that? Hey, you can think that all you want, but there is zero, how much, that's right, rhymes with zero archaeological evidence of any of that stuff. And most likely, when you do the research, as we saw before, he, remember, he's not just a storyteller, uh, he was a plagiarist. And as he's making all this stuff up, the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, etc., etc., right? And we saw that there was a contemporary book at that time that some guy had wrote in his lifetime that had this theory. So he probably ripped it off from that book. Okay, so it's nothing, nothing special. And again, here's what they say. Okay, and we're quoting their works. Gospel Principles, Chapter 3 on Jesus Christ. Quote, here's what they say. Every person who was ever born on earth was our spirit brother or sister in heaven. Okay, they say the first spirit born to our heavenly parents, okay, was Jesus Christ. So this, they say, he is literally our what? Elder brother? So Jesus is our brother? No, Jesus who? He's God. We can have a relationship with Jesus, praise God, through the work he did on the cross. But he's not our brother. It gets even worse as you go. Okay. And they uh, go, keep on. It says, we need a savior to pay for our sins, they say, and teach us how to return to our heavenly father. Now stop right there. They use heavenly father a lot. They use the word gospel a lot. They say Jesus a lot. It's not the same thing. Their version of heavenly father. Because, oh, we believe in the heavenly father. We believe that Jesus died on the cross. Well, they got to be Christian. No, 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 no. As we're going to see, they split that all up first. They don't believe that the cross is what was for the penalty of sins to, to pay for that. Uh, it's just guaranteed that uh, everybody's universally going to get resurrected. They totally mess it all up. Anyway, but their version of Heavenly Father is not the same thing. Their version of when they say, oh, Heavenly Father, we believe in Heavenly Father. It's not what you and I would think is God the Father. Okay, this is Elohim. This is the one uh, they say is Elohim, which is not even what the Hebrew word means, okay, uh, who had his plural wives and who's up there creating all these spirit babies. That's their version of, quote, Heavenly Father. And I want to point that out because they use that term all the time, just like, oh, yeah, we believe in the gospel. It's not the same as ours. Oh, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Not the same as ours. Oh, yeah, we believe that Jesus uh, died on the cross. Not the same thing as ours. Nothing is the same as ours. This is all false okay anyway so they say we need a savior to pay for our sins and teach us how to return to our heavenly father now our heavenly father said whom shall i send two of our meaning us 
two of our brothers offered help. Our oldest brother who? They say it again. Jesus is not our brother who was then called Jehovah. Well, you messed that one up too. Jehovah is the Old Testament word for God the Father. And yet you're supposed to, the whole thing's all messed up. You got Elohim wrong, has nothing to do with what you're saying, and you get Jehovah wrong. But so they apply that to Jesus, the son. Anyway, and then he said, here I am, send me. Now, who's the other brother? Satan. So now you're saying Satan's our brother? That's what they teach. Not only saying that Satan was a god, that we were all gods, and we're going to get into their so-called pre-existence. Okay, that's why we need to go back to the Mormon way to become gods again. Okay, but they actually say Satan and demons are God. But, but this passage here tells us not just that, but they're saying Jesus is our brother and Satan is our brother. How many of you guys are glad that Satan is not your brother? How many of you guys grew up with siblings and you probably thought that every once in a while? <laughs> okay, but he's not. Okay, he is not our brother. Okay, uh, oh, by the way, who he says there was called Lucifer. So they say Satan was called Lucifer. Now I'm going to call him out on this, okay? And uh, because technically, this might be a little bit of a, uh, something you guys didn't know before, but did you know the term Lucifer that appears in some translations that we equate with the traditionally now Satan? I don't have a problem with that per se. Okay, but Lucifer is with Isaiah, I believe, 14, where it talks about his fall. Ezekiel 20 is another passage, okay? But Lucifer appears in there. Lucifer actually is not a proper name. Okay, it's actually a Latin word, okay, uh, from the Hebrew word that means morning star. The actual Latin word is luciferum, okay, and when the uh, KJV translators, they didn't know what the Hebrew word meant, okay, so they literally in this passage transliterated the Latin word lucifer, which means morning star, but technically it's not even a proper name. Luciferum just means morning star. Okay, and I bring that up not to, you know, get into that tit for tat, but technically, remember, his whole thing is this is a better gospel than what we've got. This is all from God. Well, you didn't even get this one right, because technically, if you want to get down to it, Lucifer is not a proper name, right? So I don't want to distract you, but I'm just, I'm picking him apart because he's saying this is all supposed to be inspired uh, of God, all right? Let's continue on. So he says, Satan, who is supposed to be our brother, apparently, with uh, uh, Jesus is called Lucifer. He came along and he said, Behold, here am I. Send me. I will be thy son. I will redeem mankind. Remember, this is supposed to be Satan saying this. The one soul shall not, that one soul shall not be lost, and surely I will do it. Wherefore, give me uh, thine honor. So basically, they're saying that Satan was not only a god along with the demons, okay, but he's our brother, just like him and Jesus are brothers. And then Satan uh, had good intentions. He wanted to be the Savior, but he lost out in this divine meeting. Are you kidding me? What do we see about Satan? We're going to get into this, Lord willing, in a few weeks. We're going to start a new study on spiritual warfare. Right? How many different terms does the Bible use for Satan? Right? Adversary is one of them. That's what Satan means. Right? One who resists Okay, is what that means. And so over and over again, Satan is not pictured ever once as a good guy. He's a fallen, evil uh, angel. Okay, and over and over again, the scripture talks about him. He's our arch enemy. He's not out here to save us. In fact, we saw before the word that's used of him as evil is paneros versus kakos. Kakos is just a general evil. Okay, somebody goes into a 7-Eleven and they're surrounded by the cops and the cops say, hey, put your gun down. Uh, there's no way of escape. That's kakos. That's bad. The one that's used of evil in the Greek that's used of Satan is paneros, which means basically the same scenario. You got a 7-Eleven. The guy's in there with a the gun. Police say, hey, listen, put down your gun. You're completely surrounded by cops. There's no way of escape. So what's he do? He's not kakos. He's paneros. He starts shooting and killing as many people as he can even though he knows there's no way of escape. That's the word that's used of Satan. He is not some good guy who just got the bad rap. Jesus beat him to the punch. Okay, he is evil, evil, evil. He's the one who's responsible for all the baloney that we're dealing with uh, today. So you get that wrong as well. Okay, now what's the biblical uh, response? Okay, well, first of all, we know that Jesus and, and uh, Satan are not spirit brothers. Hello. Okay, they are as different as night and day. Jesus is God incarnate. He is eternal. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Uh, while Satan is a fallen angel that was created by God for God's purposes. Oh, by the way, is Satan a loose cannon on deck? No, read Job chapter 1. He's got to even report to God. Even in the book of Revelation, Satan only gets to do what God allows him to do. God is always on the throne. God is always in control. We dealt with that in our study on the sovereignty of God. There's no way you can take a look at the scripture and be honest with the scripture and come away with this synopsis that they say that somehow Jesus and Satan were related. 
Jesus is not a created being. He's a creator. Satan is a created being. He started out good as an angel, an angelic cherub, the scripture talks about. But he's the one responsible. God didn't create, see, people say, well, if God's so good and loving, then why did he create Satan? He didn't create Satan. He created a beautiful cherub angel. Evil, the scripture says, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 20, and Satan was great and beautiful in all his splendor until wickedness was found within him. He's the one who is responsible for evil. God didn't create Satan. He created a beautiful angel who in turn created or uh, became wicked. And that's what we have to deal with today. All right. But he is not the same thing. Jesus, Colossians says, listen, that Jesus not only uh, was responsible for creation, it clearly says that all things were created through him and for him. All things. It mentions there thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, which includes, guess who? Satan. And demons. But again, when God created him, it was all good. This is before the fall. Okay. But who's in charge? Who's the one responsible? God. God's the creator. Satan is the creator. There's no way you can read the scripture and say that somehow Jesus and Satan are related. They're brothers. It's crazy. If you're going to be honest with it. Okay. It's another one of their false teachings. Also, Jesus clearly said he was fully God. Because the premise here is Jesus is somehow just a, a lesser God. Right? And we'll see, Lord willing, in a few weeks, Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing. They denigrate Jesus as well. Okay? But what's the scripture say? Jesus is fully and uniquely God. He claimed to be God. John chapter 10 is one example. I and the Father are one. He didn't say, I am a lesser God than the Father, and there's a multitude of gods, etc., blah, blah, blah. No, he says, we are one. There's no way you can be honest with the scripture and say that. Okay, let's continue on. Uh, what else do they get wrong? When it comes to understanding uh, Jesus, uh, the biblical response here it is Jesus, the Christ, is the eternal, uncreated, right? Uncreated. Because again, what's the premise here? Jesus apparently didn't exist before, okay? Or he came from this other Elohim, along with Satan, along with the demons, and everybody else. What? No, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is uncreated. He always is. We already dealt with that before with the issue of multiple gods. That false teaching. He's the uncreated second person of the Godhead. He is eternally God. Okay, he was eternally one with the Father and incarnated supernaturally. He is God, man. In other words, one hundred percent God, one hundred percent man. And that's where the cults always typically get it wrong. You get God wrong because you got your authority wrong. You get Jesus wrong, and typically they get somewhere out of balance. Instead of saying, "Hey, listen, he's fully God and he's fully man," that's what the Bible teaches. That's it. Right? They say, well, he's all God, but he's not man. Or they say, no, he's just a man, just like you know, Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, but he's not God. Right? Or they, they, they try to deny one of the other. They get it all messed up. And that's why we would teach what the Bible teaches. He's fully God, fully man. All things were created by him, Jesus, and the universe is held together by him. Then we see, again, Jesus' deity uh, by this. Again, he's not a lesser God. And he certainly is above and beyond uh, Satan and demons and all the creation, okay? The names that were attributed to him as God. He is the Son of God. He is the Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Would that be over Satan? Would that be over the demons? Would that be? Yeah, hello. Okay, number two, Jesus' attributes are given to him, okay, of omnipotence. He's all-powerful, right? He's also omniscient. He knows everything. Uh, in fact, uh, John chapter 6, Jesus said he even know, knew those, and he was speaking of Judas, he knew those that were going to betray him before it even happened. That's a deity. Only God could do that. And that's what the scripture talks about, of course, with Jesus. He's also omnipresent, right? Uh, where two or three are gathered more, guess who's there? Well, how can that happen? There's two or three over here, and there's two or three over here, and there's two. Well, he's omnipresent. What's that? That's an that's attribute of God. All right? He's also life itself. He is truth itself. He is immutable. He doesn't change. Right? Also, we see his works of creating. He created all things. Right? That's only God can do that. He sustains it and upholds it. Keeps it from, how many guys glad that Jesus didn't just create stuff and then took a vacation? He's keeping it from flying apart. That's good news, right? And uh, let's continue on. He sustains it. He forgives sin. Why did the people want to kill Jesus? Number one, he claimed to be God. Hello. So how do you say he never claimed to be God? Why did they want to kill him? Number two, because he forgave sin, right? And you mean, it's recorded in the scripture. They were muttering, oh, look at him. He, he, only God can forgive sins. Who do he think he is? Uh, he's God. 
right? So look at why they were upset. Why did they kill him? Because he was making bold statements. He is God. 100% God took on flesh, uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2. Okay, raising the dead, uh, being the judge, sending the Holy Spirit, being worshipped by angels and men, right? Now, if Jesus, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would say, he was just Archangel Michael, when angels are approached by men and sometimes they fall before him, what do the angels say? Uh Uh-uh, don't worship me, worship only God, right? So Jesus was worshipped by angels, did not refuse that. He was worshipped by men and didn't refuse that. In fact, Philippians 2 says, Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, on earth, in heaven, under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. So you can bow a knee now and confess Jesus is the Son of God, the Lord God himself. Okay, come to save humanity, took on flesh, or you can do it later. I don't recommend the later option because that's right before you get thrown into hell. Okay? Uh, so let's take a, a, a look. So he is worshipped by angels. And again, all this is only happening if Jesus is in fact uh, God. His equality with the Trinity, with the Father, uh, and with the Father and the Spirit, etc., etc. That whole interplay that's going on there. And that kind of brings up an issue. In fact, we, maybe one of these days we can get really going in theology. That would be cool. We're getting there. We're getting there. If you notice, there's a progression. We're, we're getting into deeper and deeper issues. But this leads us to another issue, which is called uh, theophanies. Okay, theos, God, appearance, okay, God appearances, or Christophanes, Christos, Christos, you know, for Christ, Jesus, okay, appearances. And basically, that's the theological term that even though we have Jesus taking on flesh, Philippians chapter 2, in the first coming, right, being born, okay, the virgin birth, okay, a lot of theologians says because he's eternal, prior to that, they're called pre-incarnate experiences, of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And that's what's the theological term, uh, Theophanes or Christophanes, that he appeared even before he was born in the virgin birth. Well, how could he do that? Well, he's God and he's eternal. He can appear whenever he wants. And that one that we focus on is the one that, praise God, he became a man. He was a baby, grew up to be a man so he could die on the cross. Okay, but we see that also uh, uh, many of the appearances, just real quick, don't want to go too deep on this. Uh, many appearances of, as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. A lot of people say, well, that was very well, could have been Jesus. And we say, what's well, the angel? Well, angel just means messenger, angelas, messenger, okay? And so in this uh, instances, as the angel of the Lord, messenger of the Lord, Jesus the Son gave the message himself, okay? It doesn't mean he's an angel, okay? Genesis chapter 12, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Some would say that that's a, a Christophany, a theophany. Uh, Genesis 18, uh, Abraham has two visitors, two angels, and then God himself. Some would say that was probably Jesus. Genesis 32, Jacob, Jacob wrestled, remember that? All night long with a man, but it wasn't a man, it was God. Who do you think that probably was? Again, they would say that's probably Jesus, a pre-incarnate. Exodus chapter 24, Deuteronomy uh, 31, and on and on. And maybe someday we'll get into those kind of deeper Christology issues. Uh, but anyway, but as you can see, Jesus is who? He is God. He is not at all like Satan. I've said this so many times before. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator. Satan is a created being. I'll be powerful, but in comparison to God, this is not some Star Wars thing. Well, the light and the dark, and hopefully one gets a little bit ahead, the other one gets behind. They, they keep going back and forth, canceling each other out. No, are you kidding me? Satan is not even compared to Jesus Christ, God, the creator. He is not even the hair on the back of a flea compared to God, right? And yet, Mormonism would say, yeah, we're brothers, and you're his brother too. You know, that's that old joke. I should have had that with me. That's a classic. You could have, I, could have, I guess I'll share it for you, Bill. You ready for this? I'm not saying this has to do anything with your family. Don't, don't, don't take this. When <laughs> You know, it's that old guy, right? And it's the old guy, and he's in church services, and the preacher's preaching, and the congregation's full, and... and uh, all of a sudden, uh, here comes um, Satan himself, man. He comes right through the, the, the doors right there, man. And so people start freaking out, man. And the whole church guts, I mean, everybody, ah, even the pastor, if you can believe that, runs out of here, except for one guy sitting on the front pew. He's just sitting there. And so Satan comes up to him, and he's just like, hey, 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 how come you ain't running? And he just brushes him off. Hey, don't you even know who I am? He goes, yeah, I know who you are. Okay, he says, why ain't you afraid of me? He said, you know, well, hey, (laughs) I've been married to your sister for 47 years. (laughs) I think I can handle this. But anyway, that's a joke, and it has nothing to do with the Wimberleys. Don't take that and run with it on the YouTube. 
right? It had nothing to do with Diane. She's a wonderful woman. Right, Bill? All right, see? Okay, she's a great lady. But anyway, let's move on. I digress. So that's Jesus. Now, so Jesus, it says here, willingly died on the cross is the perfect sacrifice for sin. The resurrection of Jesus Christ confirmed his deity, proved that God had accepted his atoning sacrifice. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man, the only way to the Father, the means of salvation, John 14, 6. So you get once, and this is, the, I, I belabor this all the time. Once you get outside the Bible, whether you're a Catholic and you go into the Apocrypha or you listen to the Pope's, whether you're with all due respect of the charismatic flavor and you say, well, God told me or I got a word from God or I had this. You're outside the Bible, whether it be a Mormon and you say you follow the Bible, but you really don't. You follow this thing whooped up by this guy named Joseph Smith, okay, that he made up and he was involved in witchcraft and Freemasonry. Guess what? Everything gets messed up. You get God messed up. You get Jesus messed up. Now we're going to the next one they get wrong in your workbook, and that is you get the wrong aspect of mankind, who mankind is, where he came from, and all that stuff. Let's take a look at that. Mormonism claims that humans pre-existed, is your blank there, pre-existed as spirit children in heaven. What? Who's the one responsible for our birth? I mean, and again, we saw this before. This is why no Mormon, no person can ever become God. God, by definition, is eternal, has no beginning. So the very fact that a Mormon or any of us have a thing that we celebrate every year, believe it or not, on the same day, it's weird how it works out, called a birthday. What are you doing on your birthday? You're celebrating your beginning point. So we have a beginning point, so how could we pre-exist? Let alone, as we saw before, how could you become a god who, by definition, has no beginning? The whole thing falls apart. But they have to cram this pre-existence because this is part of their false teaching of, you need to turn right back around and go through the Mormon church to become that god. Okay, this is why they do it. It's false, okay? And they also say that they are later given bodies to live on earth so that they may progress to godhood. What? Well, if you're already pre-existing there and you're already God and you're already related, as you say, it's not the truth, to Jesus and Satan, then why mess with going down to the earth and getting it wrong? Just stay where you're at. <laughs> what? Okay, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. Mormonism teaches that pre-existent humans made choices as spirit children that determined whether or not they would come to earth. Who determines? Who's the author of life? God. Okay, but they say, oh, no, I chose to come here, right? Well, let's continue on. Uh, those who were obedient received physical bodies. Now, remember what they said? Those who rebelled, they became the demons, Right? Those who remain neutral, remember who they said those were? Those were people who would be cursed to have uh, black skin. That's back on our racist issue in the neutral one. But they don't tell you that come knocking at the door. Okay, but that's what they believe. Okay, and uh, let's continue on. Those who were obedient received physical bodies. Mormons teach that humans can become gods through obedience to Mormon teaching and obeying the church, the Mormon church, and the prophets. Whether it be Joseph Smith or even the guys that they have today, you just got to do what he says, and somehow you're going to become a god. And here's their words, not mine. All men and women are literally sons and daughters of deity. Man as a spirit was begotten and born of the heavenly parents. And again, that's their, this Elohim and this many goddess wives and whatever. Which, by the way, I used to get my hair cut in Sacramento because I used to live there. I'm going somewhere with this, believe it or not. You were so and the guy I used to get my haircut with, he was another Christian, so we'd be rapping about Jesus and stuff. And so he'd talk about some of the witnessing opportunities he would have with people who come in his chair. And this was in Roseville, a little bit more upper crusty, so guess who happens to be there? Mormons, right? You follow the money with all due respect. We talked about that before. Okay. And so uh, he, had, he was cutting this one lady, and she was, he just couldn't take it because she was just going to town. She was so proud to be a Mormon. She was just Mormon, oozing Mormon, Mormon this. It was just dripping all over or something. I don't know. It was just Mormonist, right? And he was cutting her hair and whatever stuff. And, and then, then she kept going. She was like, and I am related to Brigham Young. And he says, I probably shouldn't have said it. And he, he said, but I said, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, and which wife was that? <laughs> Good question, though. He said she was silent the rest of the time they cut the hair. So, uh, but anyway, that's what it is. That you get these all these spirit babies, witch wife, all this stuff, and we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, uh, mansion of the Father prior to coming to Earth in a temporal, physical body. We began to make choices. They say as spirit children in our heavenly Father's presence. 
Uh, continue on. When we lived as spirit children with our heavenly parents, next page there, our heavenly father told us about this plan for us to become more like him. Okay? Uh, since they say we could not progress further in heaven, our heavenly father. Now, again, this is why at the beginning I told you what is their version of heavenly father. They use this all the time. Get our version of father God out of your head because that's not what it is. It is this thing they call Elohim who came from other gods, who came from other gods, who came from other gods, who had just who knows how long. Okay, and then he's got all these plurality of wives up there, and they're popping out these spirit babies. That's their version of Heavenly Father. Okay, Heavenly Father called a grand council to present his plan for our progression. What they mean by that is to become uh, gods. Okay, we learned that if we follow his plan, we would become like him. Is your next blank there? Like him. We would have a resurrected body. We would have all power in heaven and earth. We would become heavenly parents and have spirit children just as he does. Okay, another one, Gospel Principles, chapter 7. The spirit children of our Heavenly Father began leaving His presence to come to the earth as they had been promised. Gospel Principles 17. Other important truths that the Lord restored include following this. We existed, they say, in pre-mortal life as spirit children of God. Another one, Doctrine and Covenants, 93-29. Uh, man was also in the, listen, beginning, is your blank there, man was also in the beginning with God. What? How do you get past the first page in the Bible with this one? And not just the first page, okay, but the first verse on the first page of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The very beginning. How many guys have ever had a New Year's resolution? And, well, praise God, all five of you, the rest of you, I don't know what's going on. You should try it, really, okay? <laughs> all right, and how many guys, what are your resolutions? I'm going to read through the Bible if it's the last thing I ever do. I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to read through the Bible, right? Isn't that common? You're scared to raise your hand, aren't you? And so, anyway, <laughs> and how many of you guys, you always get started out, and it's go, oh, Genesis, man, this is kind of exciting. You get to Exodus, woo, action. Exodus, you get to Leviticus, it's, uh, woo, starting to lose a little bit of momentum there, right? And then all of a sudden, you hit this, I made it through Leviticus, woo, beat my record from the last five years, okay? And then you get into that thing, it's called Deuteronomy. And you're sitting there, you're reading it the whole time, you're going, I've heard this before. Well, that's what Deuteros Namas means, second telling of the law. He's telling it again, all right? But if you just hang in there, the action picks up again in Judges and Joshua, but we don't. But here's my point. Come on, I don't care where you ended up. Hopefully you made it through the Bible. Hopefully you read the Bible regardless of a New Year's resolution. But come on, everybody's got to have at least read the first page, right? The first verse of the first page, anybody? It says what? I don't even have to open up the Bible. In the beginning... God. Not in the beginning, God, and a whole bunch of spirit babies are popping out with this other goddess wife, who's one of many. I don't see that there. It's not there in the Hebrew, believe it or not. Not even the southern Hebrew tongue. <laughs> in the beginning, God. That's it. But that's not what they say. Man was also in the beginning with God. Okay? Intelligence or the light of truth was not created or made. Neither indeed can it be. Really? God did. The real one and only God. Life, intelligence, mind, the light of truth, or whatever name one gives to the center of the personality of man, is an uncreated, eternally existent, indestructible entity. In the first stage, man was an eternally existent being termed by an, an intelligence. The next realm where man dwelt was the spirit world. Uh, eternally existing intelligence were clothed with spirit bodies. Numerous sons and daughters were begotten and born of heavenly parents into that eternal family in the spirit world. Also this, they say, he revealed that one of the purposes, listen, of marriage is to provide mortal bodies for his spirit children. What? Well, wait a second. How many guys noticed that, with all due respect, nothing's wrong with kids. Kids are cool. Can we agree on that? God says there's, blesses the man whose quiver's full of them, right? A lot of arrows to shoot with. A lot of kids work on the farm, too. But anyway, so... <laughs> That's a blessing, right? Free yard work. Okay. Uh, <laughs> how many guys have noticed, right? How many guys have noticed that Mormons typically have large families? Why is that? It's because of this false teaching. Nothing wrong with kids. Hey, if you want to have a whole bunch of kids, have a bunch of kids. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. What's the problem, though? The problem is that's not why they're having kids. The problem is they're told you got to have a bunch of kids because we need bodies for these spirit babies to be populated into. That's why they're doing it. 
Okay, and let me read to that to you. Okay, uh, the purpose of having large families was based on the LDS doctrine of eternal progression, which is what we're talking about. Mormons uh, insist that all men are the literal offspring of the Mormon god Elohim and one of his heavenly wives. Every human being on earth once existed in heaven, they say, as one of his spirit children. However, if the spirit child of God was to achieve exaltation and godhood, it would be necessary that they become human and be tested and tried to be found worthy of such a position. Which again, is like, well, why don't you just stay there and risk it not making it back? It, it doesn't make sense. But this is what Brigham Young taught, right? Quote, uh, that every, it was the duty of every Latter-day Saint to prepare human bodies for those children of God. Right, for these spirit babies. You better get cracking because we need more bodies for these spirits that are supposed to be eternally existing into there so they can hurry up and get back to becoming a God. This is, this is the motive. He said, quote, there are multitudes of pure and holy spirits waiting to take tabernacles or body. Now, what is your duty? To prepare tabernacles for them. To take a course that will tend, not tend to drive those spirits into families of the wicked where they will be trained in wickedness and debauchery and every species of crime. It is the duty of every righteous man and woman to prepare tabernacles for all spirit, all the spirits they can. Now, I've heard of some guys making some excuses. But man, this has got to be pretty bad. The reason why you're having children is not because a blessing from God as a husband and wife become one even in that sense. It's, i got to hurry and crank these things out because there's spirit babies up there that, do you want those spirit babies to be born in wicked households like Pastor Billy? <laughs> Come on. You know what you got to do. Get going. Right? Get cracking. Start having babies. That's why they're doing it. In fact, it blends into their other false teaching we dealt with the whole almost last time. Right? In the same message, Young proclaimed, the doctrine of plurality of wives was revealed so that the noble spirits which are waiting for tabernacles might be brought forth. In other words, I ain't got time to wait for just one wife. I need many wives to crank them out like an assembly line. Can you believe that? Crazy all the way around. Uh, Joseph uh, Feeling Smith, he was the 10th president. He said, those who willfully and maliciously design to break this important commandment shall be damned. That's his words. They cannot have what he says is the spirit of the Lord. Crazy. So you better get, it's your duty to have as many kids as you can, right? So you can prepare bodies because you don't want them ending up in those other wicked people's homes. They'll never make it back to Godhood. Isn't that wild? So that's why you typically see them, with all due respect, large families. How many guys, when that first show, that the, the show came out, I forget what the original number was, uh, it was like 16 kids and counting or something, whatever, the Duggars. What? Now it's up to like 103 or something. I don't know what it is. They changed the name every year. I don't know. I, I actually thought that that was a Mormon family. Oh, that's a Mormon's, man. They got their own reality show, but they're not. Okay, just to clarify that, in case you were wondering like I did until I did the research, okay? But typically, that's why they have big families, okay? Because th this false teaching, spirit babies, got to have them housed, all that stuff. Let's continue on. It, motherhood is a sacred calling, a partnership with God in bringing his spirit children into the world. Heavenly Father, their version, has given us the law of eternal marriage so we can become like him. We must live this law to be able to have spirit children. Well, what's the response? Mankind, did we eternally exist? No, we did not. God created man, it says there, right? God created man in his image and likeness, sinless originally, with intelligence, self-conscious, self-determination. Man was created to what? To become a god? To go back down the earth and work your way back up the system? Which is only through Mormonism. No, to glorify God. And display his character and his goodness in our lives. Therefore, we bring honor to him. We exist for God. We are not God. We will never become God. Totally backwards. Okay, and here's Isaiah 43, just one example. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created, the blank there, for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I, God, have made. Man's immaterial part is uh, generated at conception. That's when you begin, right? You didn't pre-exist. That's when you begin with the sin nature being transmitted through the Father. Now, uh, salvation. Let's see if we can get this done. Mormon theology also. So now you got 
Wrong authority, so it spills down here. You got the wrong God, wrong Jesus, wrong mankind. Guess what? Man, you get everything wrong. Wrong way to get saved. Wrong salvation. Boy, they really get this wrong. Okay? It's all works, 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 works. On top of false teaching about eternality, becoming a God, etc., blah, blah, blah. Mormon theology teaches that the atonement of Christ was essential to our salvation and eternal life with God. But, listen, that it is not sufficient. Right there, they deny the total work of Jesus Christ. That's your blank. They're sufficient. So they can sit there and say, oh, we believe in the gospel. They'll use that word. Oh, we believe that Jesus died on the cross. Oh, Oh, we believe in salvation. But guess what? It's not the same thing. Not even close. It's not sufficient. The cross of Christ, they say, is not sufficient. In fact, here's where they split the two. The cross, and then they add this whole Garden of Gethsemane thing in there, right? Christ shed blood, they say, on the cross provides for universal resurrection of all people. Listen, underline this, but does not pay for personal sins. What? How many songs outside, we'll get to the Bible here in a second, Okay, but how many songs do we sing about the cross of Jesus Christ? Oh, the cross, oh, the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, 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 cross. Why? Because what happened on the cross? For our, everybody knows that, but not them. Oh, no, 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 no. That was just providing universal resurrection. But it could not pay for your sins. What? Right, but here it is. Now, here's where they pick up the second half. According to Mormonism, only Christ's blood shed in the Garden of Gethsemane atones for personal sin what where in the world do you even get that oh and by the way as we're going to see shortly not even that covers it you got to fix it yourself okay but why would you split the two well let's just go back to the bible where what did jesus do to forgive us of our sins where did that atonement take place now he was suffering in gethsemane he he sweat it was with agony right looking towards the cross and the crucifixion and the beating he knew what was coming and so there was agony with that. I'll give you that. And even to the point where he's sweating drops of blood. But that's not where the atonement took place. It's on the cross. Let me just quote a couple passages uh, for you. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the only references in the Bible dealing with Jesus in the, on the, the atonement is the cross. Reconciliation through the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, 16. And reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. Okay. Colossians 1, 20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross uh, our debt being nailed to the cross colossians 2 14 he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross he bore our sins on the cross first peter chapter 2 verse 4 he we were reconciled through his death on the cross romans 5 10 he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death on the cross colossians chapter 1 paul says for i and this is first corinthians 2 2 i determined to know nothing except jesus christ and him crucified not and his experience in Gethsemane because it's really important for paying the price for your sins. There's, there's no mention of that whatsoever. Paul does not mention anything about Jesus bearing our sins in Gethsemane. It's only, the scripture says repeatedly, on the cross. Okay? But even, so you even get that messed up. Okay? So, but again, as we're going to see in just a second, not even that is enough. You got to finish the job. So you literally completely deny the power of Christ's blood and death on the cross to forgive sins. They say the cross does not equate with erasing one sin. It's only a universal resurrection. That's a total denial. It's crazy. But let's continue on. Now, this is this. Uh, only the most faithful Mormons, though, and you think, well, okay, well, at least if I maybe believe in their personal thing about their Gethsemane, which is false, I don't recommend it. Please don't. Uh, then, then, okay, at least my sin. No, your sins aren't done. Not according to them. Only the faithful Mormons have godhood or enter the celestial kingdom, the top kingdom. Remember that? And in order to get there, what do you got to do? Here's your works-based salvation, which is not the gospel. Mormons must listen to all this. Hope you don't forget a step. Mormons must exercise faith in the God of Mormonism. Notice the little g. It's version of Jesus Christ uh, and the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You need to exercise repentance. You need to be baptized in the LDS church. And additionally, you must keep the word of wisdom by, listen, abstaining from alcohol, tobacco, and caffeine. But apparently it's okay for you to own 
Coca-Cola companies. Uh, uh, Tie, you got to give money, right? Remember, you got to work your way up there. Big cash, remember that? Uh, Attend weekly sacrament meetings. Support the Mormon prophet, not just in the old, but the one today. You got to do what he says. Do temple works. Be active in their support of the church. Also teach that you must be baptized in water to be saved. Well, I hope you better get there before you die. Okay, uh, that salvation will be available in the next world for those missing out. That's why they avidly pursue genealogy and the practice of the dead. In other words, you get a second chance, which we dealt with way back here in a whole study. Now, you guys got that memorized? That's some serious pressure. You ain't going to do that. Nobody could do that. Nobody. And that's why we saw at the very beginning, who has one of the highest rates of suicide and alcoholism and drug abuse in the United States? Mormons. And, and frankly, a lot of cults do. You know why? Anytime it's the most frustrating, hopeless existence. Anytime you put this unrealistic expectation that you've got to work your way to heaven, and everybody's got their set of rules, all cults do. We'll see that with Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay? You never know. You don't have what I'm getting ready to preach on, Lord willing, for an, uh, the next couple sermons. Eternal security. You don't have that. You, you just, what, if you, what, if, what if you did 100,000 things? You, tried, you did 100,000 of these things. What if you get there? It's 100,001. How do you know? You never get to rest. There is no peace. You don't know. And you got this unlivable standard that no man can live with your doom, your doom, your doom. People literally pull the plug. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right? Now, here's what they say. One of the most, listen to this. This is from Spencer Kimball, one of their supposed prophets. One of the most fallacious doctrines originated by who? Satan. And propounded by man is that what? Man is saved alone by the grace of God that belief in Jesus Christ alone is all that is needed for salvation. Excuse me? You said that came from Satan? And again, they come knocking at your door. Oh, we believe you need to be saved too. Oh, we believe in the gospel. We believe in the Heavenly Father and Jesus. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, you don't. Not the same one as us. Not even close. Every single one of those is totally different. Right? A plan of salvation, they say, was needed for the people of the earth, so Jesus offered a plan to the Father, and Satan offered a plan to the Father. But Jesus, hey, he won out. Uh, in effect, the devil wanted to be the Savior. Excuse me. <laughs> What's Jesus say about Satan? John chapter 8. He's the liar, and he's the father of all lies. And what? He's a murderer, not a Savior. He's a murderer, and he's been one from the beginning. And that's what Jesus said. Okay? Uh, and he wanted to be savior of all mankind and, and to deny men the agency and to dethrone God. Jesus' sacrifice was not able to cleanse, is your blank there, cleanse us from all of our sins. What? So not only do I got to go through all this stuff, okay, and then you say, you deny the cross, you say the forgiveness of sins is only going to happen at the garden from the Garden of Gethsemane experience, but even then it's still not good enough because it doesn't count for murder, repeated adultery, Etc., etc., and we're going to get into an even bigger list than that. What? So, not even your version of forgiveness of sins through Gethsemane even completes the job. There's no way. It's not even close. Good works are what? Necessary for salvation. Articles of Faith, page 92. There is no salvation without accepting Joseph Smith as a prophet of God. Remember, they say that Joseph Smith is going to be at the judgment seat? And that's their version of that? Okay, uh, as these sins are the result of individual acts, it is just that forgiveness for them should be conditioned on individual compliance with prescribed requirements, obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel, right? So we got to go to you to figure out these things that we need to do. What does that sound like? What we just finished up 12 weeks before this study, Catholicism. They got their prescription, right? Take this, do this penance, call me in the morning, Right? Same thing, right? It's all works-based, okay? Listen to this. This grace is an enabling power that allows men and women to lay hold. Oh, we believe in the grace. No, you don't. Not like us. This grace is an enabling power that allows men and women to lay hold on eternal life and exaltation after they have what? They have expended their own best efforts. Give it a shot. Hopefully you can make it back to Godhood, right? And listen to this. We know that it is by grace that we are saved. See, hey, oh yeah, it's grace that we're saved. They stop deliberately, keep reading after all we can do. 2 Nephi 25, 23. That's a false salvation. That's not the same as ours. That's, not a, that's a false gospel. That's not the same gospel. You use the same Christianese to suck people in, but you have nothing to do with Christianity. 
at all whatsoever. Now, what's the biblical response? Salvation is the work of God whereby he, God, saves individuals from the penalty, power, and one day the very presence of sin. It's completed by God not on the basis of human merit, is your blank there, or works, is your next blank there, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, or where do you get, how do you get around it? It is by grace through faith we are saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that's what you're doing. Going on your bike tour, doing all your rituals. I don't drink Coca-Cola, right? Yeah, but, yeah. There's and then we already dealt with that one. All the different little, but you can do that. And if this subsection B, if it's raining on Thursday and you're in a southbound train, you could try this and get around that rule and whatever. Okay, uh, forgiveness of sins comes from God. Is a what? It's a free gift that is given to those that repent of their sins and exercise their faith in Jesus as the Lord and Savior. It's him, it's him only, it's, and that's what we said. Anytime somebody comes up to you and says, Jesus and, Jesus or, Jesus but, that's not the gospel. And how many ands, ors, buts do they have here? Can't even memorize them all, right? If you don't trust only solely on Jesus, period, sorry, you're not trusting the right way can I say it? You got the wrong Jesus, the wrong salvation, which means what? You're going to hell. This is a serious issue. Get all things wrong in life, but don't get this wrong. It's only through Jesus Christ. No pre-forgiveness of work is required, right? Right? How much uh, did the thief on the cross get baptized? How many good deeds did he get to do? You know? How about obeying all these commandments and stuff? Probably didn't have much time. Man, I don't know that he ever was able to sneak down and go to not even one church service. Can you believe that? What's up with that? Right? How about give some cash? I don't think he had his wallet on him or anything. Uh, praying, doing penance, surrendering to an organization. Or in Ruth, act. <laughs> Finishes it out. Act. All right, now, I'm going to finish with this one. Jesus' sacrifice, if you go back up there, was not able to cleanse us from all our sins. Again, they're not talking about the cross. They're talking about the Gethsemane, so that's doubly wrong. Right? And he mentions murder and repeat. Well, what's going on? Well, this leads to what we're going to finish up, something they still teach today, and it's called blood, because we're dealing with salvation, atonement, who atones for our sins, Jesus, period. Right? They say, not only you got to work your way there, the cross didn't forgive you of your sins, it's through this Gethsemane, but that still didn't do it. you got to do all these other things to get it, and then hopefully maybe still make it there, give it your best shot. Right? No security whatsoever. But they also teach this other thing. Oh, and by the way, there's some sins. That's, it's called the blood atonement. There's some sins that I, not me personally, but they would say, I have to kill you. It is my duty out of love for you to kill you. What? Yeah, it's called blood atonement. Blood atonement is the doctrine that Mormons teach that say some crimes are so heinous that the atonement of Jesus does not apply. And instead, to atone for these sins, the perpetrator should be killed in a way that would allow their blood to be shed upon the ground as a sacrificial offering. You have to blood atonement. Your blood for that particular sin that they have on their list, your blood has to be shed, has to come out of your body. You have to die and shed your blood, okay, in order for that sin to be forgiven. First of all, that's blasphemy to the cross again, okay, but that, excuse me? And listen to what they say, okay? These are the, some of the sins. Uh, apostasy, now that's, an, that's a cult. That means if you leave the Mormons, guess what? The only way you can get reinstated, the only way you can get to the top, is you have to have your blood shed because you had the audacity to apostatize from the Mormon church. Apostasy, you keep, a lot of people, they say, and they're, they're scared to death. Not just losing their family, their businesses and relationships, Okay? But they're going to come after you. Theft, murder, fornication, adultery, and mixing races. They're still doing the racism card still today. If you have the audacity to marry uh, a different person of a different skin color. That the blood atonement, is that's one sin that you have to spill your blood. Why are Mormons not big on hanging for capital punishment? Bingo. That's exactly it, Ruth. Because hanging will kill a person, but hanging will not spill blood. If they're for capital punishment, it's a firing squad. Or decapitation. Because what do those have in common? 
you, it, blood will come out of you. You will die, and blood will come out of you to atone for that sin. Uh, let's continue on. Uh, Brigham Young taught that the doctrine was ideally, listen to this, this is sick. Right? But remember, Satan is not only a father of lies, where all this came from, he's a what? A murderer. And he's been one from the beginning. Listen to this. Brigham Young taught that the doctrine, blood atonement, was ideally to be a voluntary choice by the sinner. So hey, you commit one of these sins, you leave the church, or you commit adultery, or, or you marry somebody with a different skin color, you know, all this stuff. You should pony up, and you should come up here and say, would you please kill me? That's what he's saying. Ideally, it should be voluntarily. If you did this, you need to just say, hey, would you please get it over with in such a way that blood comes out of me? This is sick. Listen, but when non-voluntarily should be carried out, listen how sick this is, should be carried out with love and compassion. They have so brainwashed people that, guy, listen, I know. I know what you did. And, and listen, you know you need to come up here and, 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 and do it yourself. But you know what? I love you. And because I love you, I got to kill you. What? It's funny, but then it's like gross. It's like, are you serious? Yeah. The blood atonement doctrine was the impetus behind the laws in the territory of the state of Utah allowing capital punishment by firing squad or decapitation. People in Utah were executed by firing squad under the assumption, quote, that this would aid their salvation. You think they didn't teach that? Yes, they did. Let me just give you a couple of questions. Joseph Smith, he talked about one guy said imprisonment was better than hanging. Joseph Smith said, I was opposed to hanging even if, it, if a man kill another. I will shoot him or cut off his head, spill his blood on the ground, and let the smoke thereof ascend up to God. And if I ever have the privilege of making a law on that subject, I will have it so. Brigham Young. He says, suppose you found your brother in bed with your wife and put a javelin through both of them. You would be justified, and they would atone for their sins and be received into the kingdom of God. I would do it at once uh, in such a case and under such circumstances. Listen, I have, remember he had 55 wives? He said, I have no wife whom I love so well that I would not put a javelin through her heart and I would do it with clean hands. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, by the way, committing adultery. Remember they married other people's wives? So then by your own teaching, guess what? I love you. And I'm very compassionate about you. You gotta be kidding me. Listen to this. He says, and this is Brigham Young. Will you love your brothers or sisters likewise, when they have committed a sin that cannot be atoned for without the shedding of their blood? Will you love that man or woman enough to shed their blood? Quote, that's what Jesus Christ meant. You have got to be kidding me. Joseph Fielding Smith, the 10th president, but man may commit certain grievous sins that will place him beyond the reach of the atoning blood of Christ. If then he would be saved, he must make sacrifice of his own life to atone for that sin, for the blood of Christ alone under certain circumstances will not prevail. Their only hope is to have their own uh, blood shed to atone. The first presidency, their leadership, says, I, would, uh, I have not a doubt, but there will be hundreds who will leave us and go away our enemies. In other words, they're going to turn away from us, apostatize, quote, their blood will be surely shed or else they will be damned. The apostles say, uh, and this was, oh, you think, oh, they don't do that anymore. 1958 and 1966. These are the same guy, Bruce McConkie. You probably heard of him one of their so-called uh, uh, apostles. He said, as a mode of capital punishment, hanging on a gallows does not comply with the law of blood atonement for the blood is not shed, 1958. But under certain circumstances, he says, there are some certain serious sins for which the cleansing of Christ does not operate and the law of God is that men must then have their own blood shed to atone for their sins. That was 1966, okay? And the fundamentalist Mormons still do it today. In fact, this is from the Salt Lake City Tribune. This is their own. This is a staff writer in 1994. Said, the concept of blood atonement survives in Utah. Okay, quote, in the past decade, potential jurors in every Utah capital homicide were asked whether they believed in the Mormon concept of blood atonement. And this is in 1998. This is also from uh, the, the Salt Lake Tribune. When killer James Edward Wood, a Mormon, was tried for the murder of 11-year-old Geralee Underwood, he was visited by, and this is their paper, Salt Lake Tribune, he was visited by LDS leaders who, quote, talked to him about shedding his own blood. 
a Mormon, guilty of murder. And what they say, dude, we love you. Can you believe that? It's sick. We'll close in prayer after this video. They really still, believe it or not, do this today. Let's take a look. In the late 1850s, Mormonism experienced a reformation when there was a concerted effort to encourage faithfulness. Conversely, there was also a movement to actively discourage apostasy and sin. This was the distinctly anti-biblical doctrine of blood atonement. Brigham Young taught that there were certain sins that could not be atoned for or forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, but only by slaying the sinner. These sins included adultery, theft, apostasy, and interracial marriage. He also taught that carrying out this blood atonement was loving thy neighbor as thyself. Even as late as the 1950s, LDS President Joseph Fielding Smith taught that the doctrine was true, but not practiced. In the 1970s, Apostle Bruce McConkie wrote that it could not be practiced as long as there was a separation between church and state. But it was practiced in the 1850s. Records from some people living in Utah at the time indicate that many were killed, and several specific accounts of murder inspired by Young's environment of violence survive. One account is the slaughter of the Aiken Party, a group of six wealthy cattle buyers passing through Utah who were accused of being spies. Several Mormons requested to camp with them and then murdered them in their sleep. Brigham Young's destroying angel, Bill Hickman, admitted that Young personally commissioned him to hunt down and kill the last survivor. That same year, a similar event took place on a much larger scale. A wealthy wagon train of about 130 people was passing through Utah on its way to California. Tensions mounted because the Mormons refused to sell to the immigrants, and some of the immigrants supposedly boasted about the death of Joseph Smith, a sin requiring blood atonement. Brigham Young offered all the wagon train's cattle to local Indians if they would do away with the party. But they were unable to, so some soldiers from Young's Nauvoo Legion arrived to solve the problem. They offered the immigrants safe passage from the Indians, but then betrayed and slaughtered some 50 unarmed men, 20 women, and 50 children. 17 children under the age of six were allowed to live. When the government stepped in to return the children to family members back east, the Mormons billed the government thousands of dollars for taking care of them. All of the property from the wagons was taken and sold by the Mormons. Of the dozens of Mormons who participated in the Mountain Meadows Massacre, only one was ever brought to justice, a former Danite named John D. Lee. Right before his execution, he stated that Brigham Young was leading the people astray to destruction. A grave marker set up for the murdered people bore the inscription, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. When Brigham Young visited the site, he reportedly suggested that it should read, Vengeance is mine, and I have taken a little. He then had the marker destroyed. Well, they don't tell you that when they come to the door. What is going on? And the fundamentalist groups, we're going to see a video. We got one more study in our workbook, and then I'm going to show you a video, and you're going to see it still continues on today. In fact, you're going to see somebody on that video that most likely was taken out because of blood atonement was shortly killed after the filming. Still goes on today. But even though they wanted to deny it, just like the polygamy issue we saw last time, right? Oh, no, 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 but they're basically, boy, if we can get that thing accepted again in the United States, then guess what? Who's going to be excited? They are, right? Remember what we saw with the homosexual issue last time, right? Because of that crack now, you redefine marriage. Two days after that event, the Supreme Court, who's going to court already saying, well, you need to uh, legalize polygamy, which make their day. Now, can you imagine if we had somebody who was controlling the United States and they wanted to bring back laws for their purposes of capital punishment? Was there a guy who was a Mormon who was running for president recently? Can you imagine if he got in office amongst all this other stuff, right? And they got in power? Because wouldn't that be the ultimate excuse to get rid of, remember what was one of the sins that need to be atoned for? Apostasy? We need to kill you. Or if you said anything negative about Joseph Smith, we need to kill you. Now, as we close, does that sound like any other group today? Another religion on the planet? You say anything bad about our leader? How is that any different? 
Isn't that wild? That's just like the Muslim belief. Don't say anything bad about our prophet or we are bound to kill you. Crazy. All right, we got one more to go. We'll deal with that, Lord one, in our next day. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing 
and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries and if there's anything that we can do for you uh please don't hesitate uh to contact us uh our number our information will uh come up here on the screen shortly and uh uh if there's anything we could do for you please don't hesitate to let us know uh thank you for uh joining us and uh remember i hope to see you in heaven god bless